welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome to another week of Real Personal Finance. Thank you. Happy Halloween, which... Yes, Won't happy Halloween to all for the people listeners. listening to this. You'll get this a couple weeks later and Halloween will already pass. What are you going to be for Halloween? Well, we were going to be fruit. Sutton's going to be a pineapple and she looks adorable. And my wife and I just dropped the ball and gone getting our outfits. I think I was going to be a watermelon and she was going to be like a, I don't know, pear something. Uh, yeah, well, you guys being fruit's lame. Your daughter no. being fruit is the cutest thing ever. Thank you for sending the picture of her being fruit. She's the cutest pineapple I've ever seen. She's an adorable pineapple. Yeah. Now, I hope you can just become like Hawaiian tourists or something with her because that will win the day. We were thinking that or maybe like uh, SpongeBob and making it Bikini Bottom where they live in the pineapples. And if we could somehow get last minute outfits to do that. But, uh, you know, the the clock is ticking. We got a couple hours. Well, let's make this time worthwhile then so we can get you on to whatever you're going to be. Can't wait to see the full photo. (laughs) Daxton gets to be Luigi this year and he's our four-year-old. So he drives what mom and dad are. So I get to be a Mario and Amanda's going to be princess peach. And then our oldest is in the scary phase of life. So he's going to be a scary clown today. Love it. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Um, Hey, for all you that are listening at home, thank you so much for listening. If you find value in the work that we do, please do one of two things or both. If you dare, uh, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts so that other people can find us. You know, uh, we've slowly been growing without promoting ourselves at all. We're in about the top hundred ish of investing podcasts and would love for you to help us get higher on that chart so we can help more people because we can't stop this work until everyone is financially literate. And that's only going to happen by you guys spreading the word. So please do. Um, that's one, two, if you have a question and you'd like to have it answered, please write in at realpersonalfinance.co and hit submit a question. We will help you. Uh, we're obviously using elements now. You can go look online on the YouTube channel where we'll like geek out on their elements scorecards. Uh, and there's hopefully some info to come on that shortly on what we can do to help the audience at large. Anything else you want to say, sir, before we move on? No, I think that covers it. We awesome. got a question that we'll be addressing today. Let's yeah. jump into that. Yeah, we're diving in. We're not using elements today because it doesn't really require it. So um, just listeners and, and nothing, nothing exciting to see on the YouTube, unless you just want to see our smiling faces. There we go. Well, this question is from Emily and Emily has a long question, which I've edited a little bit just for brevity, but she gives some good, important context. She says, hi, I found your podcast on Spotify and would like your advice about buying a house. I'm 27. And my goal is to have a paid for house by the time I'm 45. In the next 18 years, if I save and invest aggressively, I will potentially have enough to pay in cash. Or should I be getting a mortgage when I'm able to pay and have the interest because house prices will go up more than what I could earn in interest in the stock market? To me, it seems that any appreciation the house might gain will be lost in the interest I'm paying to the bank for the mortgage. 
I don't want to pay interest. And since I can't even get a loan for enough to buy a house in my area, I'm wondering if it's not a better idea to save in an investment account. And once the account reaches the right number, use that money to buy the house without a mortgage. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Here's a basic rundown of my numbers. My income is $40,000 a year plus quarterly bonuses that range between $2,400 and $7,800. I also have side income up to $4,000 total per year. I plan off of the $40,000 base salary and use any extra to reach my goals. My net income equals $19,500 because I'm maxing out my HSA contributions. I contribute 26% to a Roth 401k and then pay taxes. My normal monthly expenses are $600. I have a roommate's and big saving goals, so my expenses are low. And then in parentheses, she says, yeah, really low, smiley face. This is gradually increasing as I get tired of ramen and not having a life, but my savings rate each year has been 60% to 70% of my gross income, and I anticipate those ratios to stay about the same as I get raises. Right now, I have $100,000 in my taxable investment account, aka my house fund. I have $35,000 in my Roth IRA, $30,000 in my previous employer's 401k, $20,000 in a Roth 401k, plus the 26% of my income that goes here, $12,000 in my HSA, and I'm looking at houses around $400,000. The bank would currently give me a loan for about $200,000, but that takes away too much of my cash flow to put me in a house I don't even want. So I'm willing to wait to get the right balance of what I want versus what I can afford. It also seems crazy to spend more on interest with a mortgage each month than I'm currently spending on all my monthly expenses. So I'm kind of waiting for my rental situation to change. Those numbers don't seem so crazy, but I really appreciate how much I'm able to save in the meantime. Sorry, this is so long. Thank you, Emily. All right. It was Lots to unpack long, there. but it was all good stuff. There was no fluff in there. Right. Right. Lots of things that we want to unpack. We have the, of course, the home situation and the decision around that and what makes sense between rent versus financing. We got some philosophical points we'd like to bring up of uh, how do we balance saving the future versus enjoying today. Yeah. We've got just some interest in mortgage information. I think we provide some helpful context. Yeah. Where should we start with it all? Uh, well, let's let's geek out on all that stuff, but just high level. First of all, congrats to you on having congrats to you on your on what you're able the way you're choosing to live life and what you're able to save. And we might even dive in, we're gonna dive into that too. On um, there's something to be said for saving, but we want to make sure we enjoy life along the way. So we'll dive and in, dive into that. The only thing I want to start high level based on the things that you said about. Emily, about um, all of your investments is you might want to think about reaching out to your previous 401k employer and checking with your current employer to see if you can roll your previous employer 401k into your current 401k just to simplify your life. And I'm not saying to do a conversion. I'm just saying if that was pre-tax 401k money, just ask to have it rolled in to your, your new portfolio at the 401k. You'll just have a Roth portion and a regular portion, but it just simplifies your life and makes it easier to, you know, 10 years from now when you have another one and another one and another one, you don't have to go consolidate four at the same time. Just consolidate the one. Fully agree. Fully agree with the consolidation there. And I, I like this question because so often the people that you and I are talking to and just all people in general, the inclination yeah. is to typically go buy more home than you can afford or before yes. you're in a position to be able to do so. Yeah. With Emily, it seems like it's maybe the opposite side of the extreme of ideally, yep. I'd love to save up so much money into an account that I can just go buy a home in cash and not even have to worry about a mortgage. Right. So what's that, what's that balance or that fine line between overextending too early versus potentially 
and, and I'm saying potentially because we'll explore this, maybe waiting too long to make that purchase. Yeah. What what frame do you want to look at first for this conversation? Because it's basically, it is a one huge, it depends, right? And it's it's helping Emily frame for herself the choices that she's making. Um, what frame would you like to look at first? Let's start with this. She said something. She said, to me, it seems that any appreciation the house might gain will be lost in the interest I'm paying the bank for the mortgage. That That is one way of looking at it. What are home prices increasing by versus what's the mortgage rate increasing by or what's the interest rate on the mortgage? However, we like to look at what's the what's cash flow like? And what do I mean by cash flow? We mean how much of your income is being uh, tied up in the expenses for that home. Mm-hmm. Now, it may seem like today, oh, not much income is being tied up for the home because maybe I'm paying... We don't know what her rent number is. She said our total expenses are 600 per month, which is extremely low. Let's assume right. half of that is for rent. So it might seem like, okay, only 300 per month of my cash flow is tied up for rent or for home. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because we also have to factor in the savings that Emily is doing. Those are in some way a home expense. Now yes. she's saving them to fund a future expense, but we can't neglect that as a starting point to see what she's saving for home today. Right. So what's what's that break down to when you when you run those numbers? Let's make some assumptions. I'm going to assume her rent is 300 per month, yep. give or take a little bit. But that's the assumption. Yep. Let's also assume she's saving an extra twenty thousand dollars per year for our, for her home from her bonuses, which she said are between twenty four hundred and seventy eight hundred per quarter pre tax. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and then side income of about four thousand per year. Mm-hmm. So if we assume that those bonuses and that side income, she's earmarking all that for home. Let's say that's twenty thousand per year. Yeah. Well, if we add the twenty thousand per year there, plus the three hundred per month, which is thirty six hundred per year for right. rent, she's currently paying twenty three thousand six hundred per year to quote unquote home costs, yep. which is about one thousand nine hundred sixty seven dollars per month. Yep. Okay. So that's yep. our starting point. That that's what she's already doing. It doesn't seem like that because again, you don't think of savings in that light, but you are saving to spend. So you're saving for a future expense. So we're going to look at it that way. Fully agree. So I think where where we'll go with it next is let's look at the concept of like knowing that that's her amount she can have on housing costs. We'll look at housing costs. But before we do that, I just want to touch on one thing for the listeners and for Emily at home, where she says, to me, it seems any appreciation to the house might gain will be lost in the interest I'm paying the bank for the mortgage. Now, that is in a sense, a simplistic view of how money works. Because that when I bought my house, and let's just let's just assume it's simple simple dollar. Let's say a hundred thousand dollars is a home, and it's that's they're hard to come by in the U.S. now. But let's say that's what it is, and you're going to put twenty thousand dollars down, and you're going to you're going to owe on eighty thousand. So now you're going to have a mortgage payment, right? In your mind, you might think, well, you know, let's say ten years from now, the home's now worth two hundred thousand. And you had to pay all that interest along the way. You kind of think like, well, I have to reduce my rate of return by my, I, I bought it at 100, now it's worth 200, but I paid all that interest along the way, which brings down my return. And that's true. But the thing that you're missing is that you didn't show up with 100,000, you showed up with 20,000. So your 20 turned into 120 plus some uh, amortization along the way. So your rate of return is actually can be a lot better when you use interest for a loan. It's called using leverage to get you a rate of return. Now, I'm saying that just to explain. It's not as simple as what you're describing. The next thing I'm going to say is don't ever think of your home as an investment. 
I did want to explain it to you, though, just so you can understand that there's a different frame you can look through. Don't think through the simple frame of like the interest versus my appreciation. You're going to get the appreciation no matter what or the depreciation if you get depreciation, which is why leverage can be very dangerous at the wrong time, which is why I, again, don't want you to think of your home as an investment, but yes. just wanted to add that little clarity there. Cause um, for the listeners at home, just think of it a little differently than as simple as did the house go up or down in value and what interest did I pay along the way? There's other costs to home ownership. We have to maintain it. We have to pay property taxes. All those things should go into your return on your home if you're going to have one. And I, if you're watching the YouTube channel, I put return in quotes because I don't ever think of a home as an asset with a return. If you get it on the, on the, like in the end, lovely, but I want you to be set up so that you get to live in the home and it's okay. And you never blow yourself up. Don't ever think of it as an investment. Okay. Fully agree. End rant. <laughs> end rant. All right. You okay, Scott? You're ranting. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that, that is a very important I'll thing. I'll be okay. No, I just <laughs> I just want her to I just want Emily to have that frame because it's an important frame. It is an important frame. And and <clears throat> it's hard not to look at things that way. You look at a mortgage, you look at the number of dollars you pay in interest over the lifetime of that loan. It's impossible not to fixate on that number. But until you properly understand everything in context and what's how should this money view, be viewed both in returns and expenses and tax savings and opportunity cost and what would you've been spending anyways? There's It, it becomes a much more nuanced uh, thing that you need to look at. Agreed. But that's a good frame for now. If I go back to the cash flow piece, if we just yes. look at it from the standpoint of not what is the actual price that you're paying, but what's it going to cost you on a monthly basis? So far, based on our assumptions, Emily, you're, it's costing you $1,967 per month. If we were to say, let's assume you do get a $400,000 home, which you said is the goal. And let's assume that you do put $200,000 down. This wouldn't be today because today she she would need another $100,000 or so to come up with that down payment. But if we just run this as an example, buying a $400,000 home with a $200,000 mortgage with a 6.5% interest rate, well, her her principal and interest cost is... $1,264 per month. If we also factor in estimated property taxes and tax um, uh, insurance, it's about $1,700 a month is the yep. all-in cost of that mortgage. Yep. So I say that because that $1,700 is less than the $1,967 that we're assuming Emily is currently paying. Yep. So at some point, we have to look at where's that break even, where once you've saved up enough of a down payment, it lowers your mortgage amount, which actually means your new payment would be lower. Agreed. And just to clarify, to like kind of hone in on what you're saying, you're saying, hey, your rent plus what you're saving for your down payment is 19 and change a month. Yeah. If we look at what it would cost for you to own a $400,000 home with the maximum that the bank allows you to borrow right now, $200,000 down, $200,000 mortgage, 6.5% at a 30-year fixed rate. We are not factoring in that you're going to pay it off faster, which is what you ideally want to do. Mm -hmm. We're just saying you just get in at the rate. How can yep. you handle it? And the answer is, yes, you can. It would be $1,264 a month at a 6.5% rate, which is roughly where rates are now. And then include property tax payment and insurance. We call that pity for short. It means principal and interest, taxes and insurance. 
those four things are the bulk of expenses for home ownership outside of home maintenance and improvement. Yeah. So if we can be, if if we can hit that number under the amount you're saving now, you're in a good frame already. It's just, you need to save enough to pull the trigger. Exactly. And I I can hear a lot of people say, well, now you're locking in a 30 year mortgage. Like sure, the payment's the same, but now you got to pay that for the next 30 years. Well, keep this in mind. Let's assume you don't go that route and you do save up all cash. And let's assume in Emily's case, it takes her till age 45 to hit that $400,000 that she would want to be able to buy a home. Well, if that home value today is 400,000, but it grows, let's assume at 3% per year, well, 18 years from now, it's going to cost $680,000 to buy today what would have been a $400,000 home. So yes, you have a mortgage, but if you don't do that, you have these goalposts that keep moving on you, at least as home prices increase. And, and that's the challenge that you're up against. So you have to run the numbers, of course, at the end of the day to see what makes most sense in your situation to minimize total costs. But in a lot of cases, it's not necessarily waiting until you can buy with 100% cash. Now, if that's just a goal because it would feel really good or it's kind of a personal challenge or whatever, that's one thing. But just from a purely financial standpoint, it typically would end up costing you more to fully save up cash to buy the home than it would if you were to finance it and start paying down that mortgage as opposed to just continuing to save for for home purchase. Agreed. And then like, you know, if I just go back of the napkin um, and I say you have a hundred thousand now in an investment account, I don't know how it's allocated. And I say you save that 16, I'm going to call it 1650 a month. And then let's just make it, I'm going to make it instead of a nominal rate of return, which means the rate of return you're going to get on the markets. I'm going to make it a real rate of return by just assuming that inflation gets tampened in the future. And let's just say we could have gotten a 6% rate of return on a mixed portfolio, but instead we get, you know, three. So we're just taking a 3% real rate of return. So a 6% rate of return minus 3% is going to be a 3% rate of return. I'm going to make that a monthly amount. That frame of saving 1650 a month with a $100,000 investable asset now at a 3% rate of return, which is basically a, a decent real rate of return assumption, it will take Emily 133 months to have the cash available to buy the house. Mm-hmm. So hey, 33 years. 11 cool years. Yeah. 11 years, right? So, and she's, and she's 27 now. Yep. So she'd be able to buy it at 38 if she just goes on that path. Now, yep. the, granted, this is a super crude number, right? I just put it on a on a, a financial calculator really quickly, but that really does speak to your point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think the, run the numbers, of course, is the, at the end of the day what we'll come back with, but. But let's add some color to this because here's the other color to think about. Most of us think real estate goes up. It doesn't go down. Mm-hmm. Now, the we already mentioned that the, the, the P&I, the, the principal and interest payment for Emily at a 6.5% $200,000 loan, which $200,000 is the max the bank is willing to lend. And banks are willing to lend based off of your income. Once they know the percentage of income they're willing to lend you, then they just go look at what's the current interest rate and they tell you how much you can have. Yeah. But right now in this market, they're telling her, hey, we'll give you $200,000 of a mortgage. But at the beginning of the year, rates were about 3% instead of six and a half percent. And if you just say the max payment they will give her is 1264 a month, what we calculated roughly based on the numbers, right? 
That 1264 payment at a 3% interest rate of a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, they would have lent her $300,000, not $200,000. Now, I hope you sit with that for a second as you're listening to this. Because what that means is banks don't care. The size of their loan is not based off of how great they think you are paying them back. They just go, Emily, you can afford a payment of 1264. If rates are at 3%, we'll give you 300K. If rates are 6.5%, we'll give you 200K. They don't care what the interest rate is. They care that she can pay. Mm -hmm. That works for everyone. Now, the amount she can borrow fell by a third. Yeah. I guarantee if, if you want to, we could do the equivalent the other way to see how much would she need to have. And I'll just do it really quickly. Let's say we have $300,000 as the loan for 360 months. Sorry, 360 for $200,000 loan. Or pardon me, I want to make it a $300,000 loan. I want to make the assumption that she was comfortable buying a house with a $300,000 loan. And now she wants to know like, what's my, what would my payment be? The bank won't extend it to her, but I just want to give it to you guys for a frame of reference. 360. Her payment where at the beginning of the year on a $300,000 loan would have been 1264. If she wanted it today, it'd be 1896. Wow. Quite a bit higher. Or a difference of $632 a month or more than she spends in her entire month of spending currently. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So if we translate that to a year, she needs an additional $7,500 of after-tax money. Now, you're not getting an interest rate, a, a raise in your rate. You're not getting a pay raise that's keeping up with the, in, the price movement that's happened in the housing market. And I'm not saying that to, to zero out Emily. I'm saying that as a whole to say that all of us can no longer borrow as much as we could. Right. And when all of us can't borrow as much as we could and housing works on leverage, it's very hard for housing prices to go up. Mm-hmm far more likely that they stay flat or they go down if interest rates stay high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's beca- And that's because it's just math. It's just math. Yeah, that 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 part is, that's a reality that I think a lot of people are having their eyes open to of, holy cow, it cost me 50% more in a payment because interest rates have gone from 3% to 6.5% for the same mortgage amount. Yeah, that the 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 ripple effects of that, the economics of that, make it such that the housing market is probably going to look almost certainly going to look a lot different, at least as long as this lasts going forward than it did over the last several years. Totally agree. But my point for Emily to drive home would be: be patient, keep investing and saving, figure out the frame between you getting a mortgage or having no mortgage. There's a, I'm holding up two hands because I want her to understand. There's like over here, you never get a mortgage; you always save until you can buy. Over here, you get a mortgage the moment you can and have it at the 30-year payment and only pay it off over 30 years. And then there's like everything in between. Yeah. This is not a binary choice. You get to choose how to set yourself up for success. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I would add to this is as we rounded out for today is she mentioned, hey, at some point I won't be eating ramen and not having a life. And we would want to dig deeper into that. Oh, yeah. Is it worth it? You know, oh, let's yeah. fast forward to 40 or 45 or whenever it is. Let's assume you do buy that home in cash and you have no mortgage and you have healthy Roth IRAs and healthy 401ks and healthy all of this. 
but you gave up your 20s, your 30s, the first half of your 40s to get there, was it worth it? Will life be so amazingly incredible on the other side of your 45s that you gladly make that trade off? Or would you say, was there a happy medium in between? That's what we'd want to press into. I fully, I'm shaking my head no, because like the life you live today, like you should live a fulfilled life today, in my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily go spend a ton of money to live a life of contentment and equanimity, but that's what you want to be aiming for. And what I'm the 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 feeling I got based on the percentage number is we're focusing on fire here, financial independence, retire early. But I would just say, why not focus instead on financial independence work optional? Like, what do you love to do? Right. At a forty thousand dollar a year salary, there are so many things you can be doing um, that are available if it's work that you love. Right. And why not find the frame that works well for you to live a better life now? A more enjoyable life now. And but maybe the frame is is that Emily loves her life the exact way it is. She's not cutting to the bone on anything. But when she said eat ramen, I don't know if it's a half joke or if it's real. But yeah, we don't want you eating cup of noodles and ramen to save to eventually be able to live a nicer life. In our view, figure out the balance of a nice life now while saving for yourself in the future so that as quickly as possible you can choose whether or not to go to work. You don't have to go to work. Yeah. Versus the extreme that we're kind of posing for, which is I'm going to knuckle down and save everything so I one day can be free, only to get to being free and realize you didn't save enough because you were building it on the lifetime of like eating ramen. So now yep. you're you can be free, but now you have to keep eating ramen. Is that the life you want? Yeah. <laughs> it's an important question to answer. Yeah, and there there is something admirable admirable, and there is something to be said about sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and buckle down and just yes. do it. And it's a yes. trade-off. But that's not all the time. And there's that in the same way there's that balance between the person that overextends and takes out way too much mortgage today and doesn't save enough for the down payment versus the other extreme, which is yep. save up and invest and take a decade and a half to get their all cash. Yep. There's a balance between eating ramen and not having a life and totally being reckless with spending and not saving a dime and being fully unprepared for the future. Completely. So I still love bean and cheese burritos and PB and J, right? I don't need to eat them every day, but I like to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, I think that about covers it. Anything else that you'd add to Emily's question? No, just thank you for writing in. Thank you for the question. I'm so, so cheering for you and rooting for you to step into this life that you want to live. Yeah. Um, and, and can't wait to learn more. And I, I hope I hope you send us feedback along the way. And, uh, you know, we'll, we're hopefully working on something that will allow the community to be more of a community, uh, come together, maybe pay some low price point to have access to elements and uh, a community and uh, and have asked me anything with James and I. So if that's of interest to you, will you please just go to um, realpersonalfinance.co when you hit submit a question, just say, I'm interested in the community. So we can get start to get a sense of if we have um, enough people interested that it's worth us pursuing. Perfect. Well, Emily, thanks for that question. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As Scott said, feel free to send your feedback about that, about anything on the realpersonalfinance.co webpage, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer in a future episode, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co, and there'll be a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for Scott and I to answer on a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.